Hello and welcome to What's the Story Ghost? I'm your host Annette. And I'm Stephen. And today we are on episode 36. Stephen. Annette. Do you know anything about, now I'm going to pronounce it wrong, I know I am, the Dibbit Box. Dibbuk? Dib. Dibbuk. Dibbuk. D-Y-B-B-U-K. Dibbuk. 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 No, I don't know anything about that. This should be good. Shall we crack on? Crackity crackity. All of the events that I'm about to set forth in this listing are accurate and may be verified by the winning bidder with the copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits that I'm including as part of the sale of this cabinet. During September of 2001, I attended an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. The items liquidated at this sale were from the estate of a woman who had passed away at age 103. A granddaughter of the woman told me that her grandmother had been born in Poland where she grew up, married, raised a family and lived until she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She was the only member of her family who survived the camp. Her parents, brothers, a sister, husband and two sons and a daughter were all killed. She survived the camp by escaping with some other prisoners and somehow making her way to Spain where she lived until the end of the war. I was told that she acquired the small wine cabinet listed here in Spain and it was one of only three items that she brought with her when she emigrated to the United States. The other two items were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. I purchased the wine cabinet along with the sewing box and some other furniture at the estate sale. After the sale, I was approached by the woman's granddaughter who said, I see you bought the Dibbuk box. She was referring to the wine cabinet. I asked her what a Dibbuk box was and she told me that when she was growing up, her grandmother always kept the wine cabinet in her sewing room. It was always shut and set in a place that was out of reach. Grandmother always called it the Dibbuk box. When the girl asked her grandmother what was inside, her grandmother spit three times through her fingers, said, a Dibbuk and a Kesselum. The grandmother went on to tell the girl that the wine cabinet was never ever to be opened. The granddaughter told me that her grandmother had asked that the box be buried with her. However, as such a request was contrary to the rules of an Orthodox Jewish burial, the grandmother's request had not been honoured. I asked the granddaughter what a Dibbuk and a Kesselum were, but she did not know. I asked if she would like to open it with me. She did not want to open it, as her grandmother had been very empathic and serious when she instructed her not to do so, and regardless of the reason, she wanted to honour her grandmother's request. I finally ended up offering to let her keep what seemed to be a sentimental keepsake. At that point, she was very insistent and said, No, no, you bought it. I explained that I didn't want my money back and that it would make me feel better to do what I thought was an act of kindness. She then became somewhat upset. Looking back now, the way she became upset was just plain odd. She raised her voice to me and said, You bought it. You made a deal. When I tried to speak, she yelled, We don't want it. She began to cry, asked me to leave and quickly walked away. I wrote the whole episode off to the stress and grief she must have been experiencing. I took my purchases and politely left. At the time when I bought the cabinet, I owned a small furniture refinishing business. I took the cabinet to my store and put it in the basement workshop, where I intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to my mother. 
I didn't think anything more about it. I opened my shop for the day and went to run some errands, leaving the young woman who did sales for me in charge. After about half an hour, I got a call on my cell phone. The call was from my salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit and she couldn't get out. As I told her to call the police, my cell phone battery went dead. I hit speeds of 100 mile an hour getting back to the shop. When I arrived, I found the gates locked. I went inside and found my employee on the floor in the corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. I ran to the basement and went downstairs. At the bottom of the stairs, I was hit by an overpowering, unmistakable odour of cat urine. There's never been any animals kept or found in my shop. The lights didn't work. As I investigated, I found out the reason the lights didn't work also explained the sound of the glass breaking. All of the light bulbs in the basement were broken. All nine incandescent bulbs had been broken in their sockets and ten four-foot fluorescent tubes were lying shattered on the floor. I did not find an intruder, however. I should also add that there was only one entrance to the basement. It would have been impossible for anyone to leave without meeting me head on. I went back up to speak to my salesperson, but she had left. She never returned to work, after having been with me for two years. She refuses to discuss the incident to this day. I never thought of relating the events of that day to anything having to do with the cabinet. Then things got worse. As I already indicated, I had decided to give the cabinet to my mother as a birthday gift. About two weeks after I made the purchase, I decided to start refinishing it. I was surprised to find that the cabinet has a unique little mechanism. When you open one of the doors, the mechanism causes the opposite door and the little drawer below to open at the same time. It was very well made. Inside the cabinet, I found the following items. One 1928 US wheat penny, one 1925 US wheat penny, one small lock of blonde hair bound with string, one small lock of black-brown hair bound with string, one small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters. I have been told that the letters spell out the word Shalom. One dried rosebud, one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. I saved all of the items in a box, intending to return them to the estate. The family has refused the items, so they will be included in the sale of the cabinet. After opening the cabinet, I decided not to refinish it. I cleaned it and rubbed in some lemon oil. It was at this time that I noticed that there was an inscription in Hebrew carved into the back of the cabinet. I have no idea what it says, or if it's significant. I've included a picture of that inscription below. On my mother's birthday, October 28, 2001, my mother called me to tell me that she was going out of town with my sister for three days, and we postponed celebrating her birthday together until she returned. On October 31, 2001, my mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight more than five minutes when one of my employees came running into my office saying something was wrong with my mum. 
When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mum sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how I tried to get her to respond, she would not. She could not. It turns out that my mother had suffered a stroke. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance. She ended up suffering partial paralysis and losing her ability to speak and form words. She has since regained the ability to speak. She could understand things being said to her and could respond by pointing to letters of the alphabet to spell out words she wanted to say. When I asked her the following day how she was doing, she teared up and spelled out the words, no gift. I assured her that I had given her her gift for her birthday, thinking she didn't remember, but she became even more upset and spelled out the words, hate gift. I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet and I would get her anything she wanted if she would promise to get well soon. Still, I didn't associate anything that happened with the cabinet itself or anything paranormal. Frankly, I don't think I ever even used the term paranormal until this month. I'll try to make this short now. I gave the cabinet to my sister. She kept it for a week, then gave it back. She complained that she couldn't get the doors to stay closed and that they kept coming open. There are no springs in the door mechanism and I have never found that the doors came open. I gave it to my brother and his wife who kept it for three days and then gave it back. My brother said it smelled like jasmine flowers while his wife insisted it put out an odour of cat urine. I gave it to my girlfriend who asked me to sell it for her after only two days. I sold it in the same day to a nice middle-aged couple. Three days later, when I came to open my shop for the day, I found the cabinet sitting at the front doors with a note that read, This has a bad darkness. I've no idea what that meant. Anyway, I ended up taking it home. Then things got worse. Since the day I brought it home, I began having a strange reoccurring nightmare. Every time I have the horrible dream, It goes something like this. I find myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust. At some point in the dream, I find myself looking into the eyes of the person that I am with. It is then that I realise there's something different, something evil looking back at me. At that point in my dream, the person I am with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome, demonic looking hag that I have ever seen. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. I have awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where I had been hit by the old woman during the previous night. Still, I never related the nightmares to the cabinet, nor do I think that I ever would have. About a month ago, however, my sister and my brother and his wife came over to the house and spent the night. The following morning during breakfast, my sister complained that she had had a horrible nightmare. She said that she recalled having had it a couple of times before and went on to describe my nightmare exactly to the last detail. My brother and his wife froze as they listened and then chimed in that they both had had the exact same dreams during the night as well. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck and still is. As we talked, it became clear that the common denominator was that each of us had had the nightmare during the times that the cabinet was in our respective homes. I called my girlfriend and asked if she could recall having any nightmares recently. 
She described the same nightmare, same hag, everything. When I asked her if she remembered the date when she had the nightmare, she said she did not. And then I asked if it happened to be the night before she gave me the cabinet back to sell for her. She said, Yeah. Hey, how did you know that? Now then, since my family discussion, it seems like all hell is breaking loose. For a week afterwards, I started seeing what I can only describe as shadow things in my peripheral vision. In fact, numerous visitors to my house have claimed that they have seen these shadow things. I put the cabinet in an outside storage unit and was awakened when the smoke alarm in the unit went off in the middle of the night. When I went to see what was burning, I opened the door and didn't see any smoke. However, I did get hit with the smell of cat urine. When I went back inside, the smell was there in my house. I do not own a cat and never have. I went back outside and grabbed the cabinet. I brought it back inside and tried to research it on the internet. While I was surfing the net, I fell asleep and once again had the same frickin' nightmare. I woke up at around 4.30am when it felt and smelt like someone was breathing on my neck to find my house now smelt like jasmine flowers and just in time to see a huge shadow thing go lopping down the hall away from me. I would destroy this thing in a second except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I am afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet might just stay here with me. I have been told that there are people who shop on eBay that understand these kinds of things and specifically look for these kinds of items. If you are one of these people, please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. You can see that I have no reserve price or minimum bid. If I can make things any easier, let me know and I will do everything within my abilities. One more note. On the same day my mom had her stroke, the lease to my store was summarily terminated without cause. The measurements are 12.5 by 7.5 by 16.25. All of the items that I originally found inside the cabinet are included in the sale and will be delivered with the cabinet. On June 12, 2003, at 2.15am, seller added the following information. There is no way that I can respond to all of the emails I have received since putting this thing online. I'll try now to update and answer the most common questions I've been receiving. 1. No, I am not religious. 2. No, I do not wish to have or participate in any sort of exorcism or case study or photo sessions at my home. 3. No, I will not sell any of the individual pieces which were originally found separate from the other pieces and the cabinet. 4. No, I do not speak Hebrew, nor do I know what the word Kesselam means. I don't know if it's even a Hebrew word. 5. At the end of the auction, I have decided to take an opportunity to speak with the winning bidder for two reasons. The first, to make sure that the winning bidder is a serious adult who has employed some valid reasoning skills in making the decision to accept whatever this is. I will not be judgmental. Do whatever you want or need after the sale. And second, to offer full details of the events that have transpired. After I've carried out those responsibilities and upon payment, 
I will have the cabinet and its contents delivered by US Mail, FedEx or UPS to the winning bidder. At that point, I will have no further involvement with the matter in any way, shape or form, period. 6. To all of you that have offered to pray, I may not be religious, but I am certainly open to the possibilities, no matter what your religion might be. Thank you. On June 14, 2003, at 5.21am, Seller added the following information. Here is another update for anyone following this listing. No, no, I will not circumvent or make any deals outside of eBay, even for more money than the final auction price. If you want to win the auction and have the kind of money some of you are offering, there shouldn't be any reason why you cannot simply place your bid in an open, honest fashion. I'm sure you can understand why I might be suspicious. Also, for those wanting to know if I'm still experiencing anything out of the ordinary, I thought everything was going okay until I got home Friday, the 13th of June, and found that the fish in my freshwater aquarium, all ten, were dead. I'm still hoping that all of this is coincidental crap. Let's think of that story. That was a good story. <laughs> I know that, it's a bit long. No, that was, that was, you had me the whole way through on existing and stuff. There's only one real main character in it. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the type of stories that keep me awake at night is the fact that it's not real, but it is real. Or is it real? I don't really know. Also, it was drugs. <laughs> yeah. somebody, I, don't, I don't think it was lemon oil he was uh, but you see that's where it got me it's, it was whatever oils or lacquers and it made a weird chemical reaction and it seeped out small amounts of hallucinogenic yes, yes, toxins that, into the atmosphere and definitely. if you're around it for any length of time like you'd have to be a couple of days obviously uh, you get a bit Cooper doodles. I just, I don't understand. Like, uh, right, I will eventually get into this with you, right? But before I read the full story, because this isn't even the full story. Before I read the full story, I was just kind of like, dude, nobody wants your box. Like, just, just, just stop. Okay. I know you made a purchase. It was on a whim. You thought to yourself you could make something of it. And then you realized you couldn't. Your mom didn't want it. She got sick. Your brother didn't want it. His wife got sick. Blah, 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 blah. You gave it to your girlfriend. She wanted to sell it. And then I read the rest of the story and I was just like, oh, okay. Do you want to know the rest of the story? No, I'll show the story. Okay. So just a couple of points just I wanted to make with you. A dibuk in Jewish mythology is an evil spirit which can possess a living person. So that part of it is true in Jewish mythology. It's ancient. couple of things I just wanted to note. The dibuk box first appeared in 2003 as an eBay auction by Kevin Manis, okay? Yeah. The item sold for $140 in June to a buyer whose name was Spasmolytic. It doesn't matter what his name is, right? But Spasmolytic. soon as I found out, he had no minimum bid on it, but he sold it for 140 I was like, I'm sorry, but if you came home with something and it was genuinely haunted, there's nothing in folklore law to say that a financial or monetary transaction has to be made for the bad juju to leave you and to go to somebody else. So I don't understand why if it was really genuinely haunted, there had to be a monetary value added to it. Just give it away to somebody who's interested in that kind of stuff. I think there has to be a level of acceptance and one of the easiest ways to do it is say, well, I'll give you something. For you something in return. Yeah. So it's, it's a trade. It could have been a ghost. <laughs> that's contractual law I yeah. get that but not folklore but, law but there, there's no such thing as folklore law I think it's like 
if a ghost wants to trap you or a vampire can't come into the house unless he's, he's actually invited. He's like, oh, please come in, sir. It's kind of the same thing. You have to see, oh, I want Offer your thing. acceptance. Yeah, I want your thing. Here's, okay. here's, here's my down payment. Okay. So the guy whose eBay name I can't really pronounce, uh, I'm going to absolutely butcher his surname. So I am really sorry if I get this wrong, but I think it's Nitsky. Nitsky. He bought it and then turned around and relisted it on eBay himself eight months later, saying that him and his roommate suffered from insomnia and some illnesses, though he very carefully added that it was likely coincidental. He managed to sell it for twice the price that he bought it for. He managed to sell it for 280 uh, in February of 2004. Now, the next buyer was Jason Haxton, who was a teacher in one of Netsky's roommate colleges. And I just thought, okay, that's like barely a 0.5 degree of separation there. He had heard all these stories from one of his class attendees who just happened to be roommates with the first, uh, the second guy who owned it. And then I thought, oh, that sounds a bit fishy, but who cares? Because according to Jason, even today, he says that owning the divot box reversed his aging. He reckoned that you get out of the box whatever you expect. So if you are, you know, a nasty person or you expect nasty things, if your mind immediately goes to the bad stuff, that's all you're going to get back. Oh. And then Zach Bagans from Ghost Hunters reportedly paid tens of thousands of dollars for the Dibble Box. He actually has it up in his, he has like a show in Las Vegas. And then Kevin Manis later wrote, so the, the guy who originally owned it, I am a creative writer. The Dibble Box is a story that I created. And the Dibble Box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago, which is to become an interactive horror story in real time. Now, every big ghost hunter that I've gotten hooked on on YouTube since we started, every single one of them has done a Dibble Box opening live on it. And I'm like, it's just manifested itself into something absolutely huge. And there's no basis. The Dibble Box is real. The Dibbuk is part well, he, of Jewish he, mythology. He got a cardboard box from under his bed and said, here's some magic beans. He carved the, the engraving into the back of it himself. He, ah, what he, a scandal. I don't even know if all of the items even came with the box, but he was just kind of like, I was really, really stuck for money and I, I decided to test the water a little bit, write a story and see where it went. And it grew and grew and grew. And poor Mr. Baggins is probably sitting there in his museum gone. Oh, crap. Because even, even he says, no, 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 strange things have happened since I, I got it. And I'm kind of like, you've got like 20-something million things in your little museum. I'm sure it's probably one of them that's setting off the spooky alarms. So the gist of the story is this man made up this yeah. box and sold on. What if What if the devil box came? Just bear with me now. What if the devil box was real? Okay. What if he, he wrote this story and goes, Jesus, I'm really scared. But 20 years later... Divot monster was like, dude, deny it. Yeah. Or I'll make you go crazy. Yeah. I'll eat your own toes. Who are you? I'm the one who usually goes down this road. Ah, look. <laughs> it's a good story, though. It is a really good story. Because at the end of the day, I suppose the whole point of the podcast is to tell ghost stories. And that's the kind of thing that if I was told that when I was 13, 14, 15, sitting around a campfire, I would be petrified. I am several years older than that now. I wrote that story and I didn't actually write that story. I actually got that from the Divot Box website. Um, but I, I read through that story today in the middle of the day, middle of the day, while minding the boys. And I was just kind of like, uh, I'm not 15. I'm not sitting in the dark, but I'm still terrified. Mm-hmm. 
but that was just a direct reading. It's probably one that most, I actually got it. I was inspired to do this one because of real life ghost stories podcast and because of a YouTube lady that I've only just started to watch. Her name is um, Madame Macabre. She is such a good storyteller. And I, I listened to her story and I was like, Oh crap, I don't sound anything like that. She's a very sultry kind of animated voice and she tells stories so so well. Like she's she you'd want to you'd want her to read your kids' stories. Not this kind of story, but stories. Have you got anybody for me? One person. Sorry. Yeah, that's kinda all you really need. Adam Sandler. Oh my god, that would so work. Cause that your job is to, to find a, a generally not horrific person and put them but, in the story. But he could he could be a general he plays some shady characters from time to time no I think he could do it I, I think it would work but then what do we do with Kathy Bay she she's uh she's on the builder's holiday she's his mum she's not oh, ah man don't do that to Kathy Bates okay she can be his mum I don't sound like could play a really young character no I mean she gets injured oh I'm not 100% sure how much of that story is true though that's what's upsetting oh, yeah. me none because, of it no I know no he did he, <laughs> the creative writers can only kind of pluck they do tend to take from life a little bit but I was really irked when I heard that it was basically a creative story because I was like oh my god I really felt for that woman who survived the holocaust and I was just like can we just take a minute to clap very loudly for this badass woman who lost all of her family and I'm like what a tragic lie yeah (laughs) like oh screw you Kevin Morris or Whatever the hell your name is. Anyway, would you like to know the rabbit hole I fell down this week? Shoot. So I've only recently found out that horror and thriller are somewhat kind of similar. Because I always thought horror was gore. Not always gratuitous violence. So I was looking to see different horror movies that I could watch. And then I somehow managed to fall upon this page that said all of these movies were haunted sets. And that was fine when I was reading most of them. Now, I'll read you the title and you can ask if you want to know what had actually happened on them. Some of them have quite a bit of description and some of them are really short. Pull a pointer for me. Okay, so number 10, we have The Passion of the Christ. Uh, The actor was struck by lightning, endured hypothermia, uh, pneumonia and infections. And then there was a lot of other stuff that was a bit too gory for me to read. Uh, The Possession. That's why I started to do the Dibbit Box. The Possession is a movie basically about box. Little girl gets obsessed. Um, lights began to explode inexplicably chilly breezes would fall through closed sets not to mention the entire storage facility holding all of the props including the dip of box caught fire burnt to the ground everything was destroyed uh, number eight The Conjuring I'm not 100% about that one because it just says that the actress went home one day and opened up her laptop and there was like tree claw marks across her laptop but I'm like that's pixelated damage you probably sat on your laptop in the car um, Batman this one's quite sad. Uh, so before accepting this role, legendary actor Jack Nicholson warned Heath Ledger about the effects of taking the part and urged him not to. Unfortunately, he did. And he drove himself into a major depression. He got really, really into the, the role. method acting in that one, wasn't he? Pretty much, yeah. So he got an average of two hours sleep per night. Delirious and obsessed with the role, he kept a diary. And inside on the last final page is an image of himself as the Joker with the words bye-bye. that was really sad Uh, Rosemary's Baby not haunted because of the things you would think it was haunted because of so this is a 1968 film based on a pregnant woman who becomes involved in a satanic cult Sharon Tate is the wife of the movie's creator Roman Polanski Roman Polanski Tate and four other people at the residence were killed by a group from the Manson followers 
in a ritualistic manner read into that what you will i wouldn't go into it it was a bit much for me i had the exorcist but i didn't take down any details on it because everybody knows about that one um the introduction of dorothy dandridge i took this one down because it's nice halle berry played Dorothy Dandridge, the first African-American to win an Oscar, who incidentally enough, Halle Berry in real life, became the first and only African-American woman to win an Oscar in a leading role. So not all paranormal activity is bad, except she did borrow one of Dandridge's actual dresses, bring it home, and then a whole bunch of stuff happened, like stuff was floating across the room and stuff was smashing. So, number three, three men and a baby. I love that film. In one scene, you can see a clear image of a young boy standing in the background behind uh, Ted Danson. It's reportedly the ghost of a nine-year-old boy who died while living in the apartment. I thought that was really freaking sad. Uh, number two is Poltergeist. Uh, during filming, four actors actually died. Uh, during the swimming pool scene, the, metal, the family members are surrounded by skeletons. Nobody actually told them that the skeletons that they used were actual human corpses because it turns out human corpses are cheaper than making human skeletons. Ah, lads. I know. And then the last one there is the omen for obvious reasons. The cast and crew experienced everything from death, accidents, lightning strikes, hotel bombing, car crashes and suicides. The weirdest thing was when two days of footage was lost, one day due to a camera malfunction. When inspecting the problem, the camera displayed error 666. And then following technical difficulties, one of the actor's brothers happened to drop dead after a card game after pulling the cards 666. Where was this card game in the Hellfire Club? <laughs> so that's the rabbit hole I fell down this week. Yeah, well, I suppose you came back. <laughs> you any questions for me? No, no, I think, no, have you any questions for me? You look so spooked. Was that one a scary one? That was one? a scary it one. It was yeah, a scary yeah. one. That's good though, it's good that also, we can... Also, it's been getting dark lately. I know. And you're now telling me ghost stories in, <laughs> in the darkness. Okay, so we finished up there? Yeah, go for it. Words. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Uh, if you have any questions on today's episode or any other episode, please feel free to DM us on our Instagram. It's What's the Story Ghost. If you have any personal stories you would like to share our email is what's the story ghost at gmail.com i will include all of the links for this episode in the description and that's all my words exit jingle bye